Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, it is so good to be back. Um, I gotta let you know. So, thank you. Um, the overwhelming tidal wave of love that this church has given our family is just a blessing, and I want to thank you guys. Um, I also, I want to say good morning to our online community right now, those that are watching on Facebook Live, and uh, some people are listening to the podcast during the week, and my wife Kelly is watching right now, and I love you. So here we go. Um, so... Yeah, I had a crappy couple weeks. Um, a couple weeks ago, my wife had trouble talking. She just couldn't get words out. She understood them fine. She was reading to her classroom. She's a second grade teacher. She couldn't get the words out. And she called me and she just said, Sean, something's not right. I need to go to the hospital. So I picked her up. We drove her to the hospital. Um, we thought maybe she was having like a little mini stroke or something. And doctor comes back out and says, um, you got a brain tumor. It's about the size of a lemon. It's right here. It's pushing on this part of your brain where you talk. Uh, we're going to need you to uh, get to Fresno Community Hospital where they can do brain surgery on you. Um, you have your, your choice. You can uh, be ambulance. Uh, we can put you in a helicopter and take you there. Or uh, your husband can drive you. And the nurse is like, go in the helicopter. The guys are hot that fly it. Um, <laughs> she was awesome. Um, so she went in my car. So... Um, <laughs> We went down, and then the next day, the neurosurgeon came in. He said, hey, listen, we haven't done a biopsy or anything. He goes, but I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. I worked at MD Anderson for seven years, and I can tell from this MRI, this is a cancerous tumor, and uh, we're going to go in and get the whole thing. But here's the thing. It's pressing on the part of your brain where um, it's your speech, and it could literally take your speech away. You could, after this surgery, never speak again. So here's what I'm going to suggest. We're going to put you under. We're going to saw a big hole in your head right here, and we're going to go in. But then we're going to wake you up in the middle of the surgery. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, silence of the lambs. Yeah, so they woke her up in the middle of the surgery. So she's wide awake with a hole in her head. Doctor's like, you know, carving away at the tumor in her brain. And the speech therapist and pathologist are, are, are talking to her and quizzing her so he doesn't take too much of her speech away and, and all of that, which is amazing to me. And then, you know, at the end of the surgery, her head, she's kind of doing this. You know, and she's awake the whole time. And she's like, hey, what are you guys doing to me right now? The doctor's like, oh, I'm stapling your head. I'm just letting you know. That woman is a BA, okay? Men, I know what would happen if I was on that operating table. I wouldn't have been able to stay awake. I would have passed out. I would have woke up and were like, I'm awake during brain surgery. I'm awake. I just keep doing that, okay? She, she went through the whole thing and uh, she's recovering and it is cancer and we're starting radiation and chemotherapy in two weeks and we're just moving ahead. So I'm not going to give you updates every week. I'm going to give you permission um, in how to treat me. Just, yeah, just treat me like normal. Don't walk on eggshells around me. It's okay to joke around. I'm going to joke around about it because cancer sucks. Can I get an amen? Okay. Um, and we're, we're just going to, we're going to do this. I had been planning this series, though, for two years. Um, and let me just kind of unveil how, how it worked out. 
Um, it's the story of Lazarus. And it struck me, I'd read the story of Lazarus a, a million times, but when he comes out of the tomb alive, he's wearing his grave clothes, and Jesus says, take off, your grave, or take off his grave clothes. He doesn't tell Lazarus to take off his own grave clothes. He tells his friends and family, his people, take off his grave clothes. And there's something about coming out of the grave... Because the Bible is really clear that we are slaves to sin. We are dead to our sins. We're in the tomb because of our sins. And only Jesus can call us out. And when we come out of the tomb, those of you that are Christians, you know. You thought when you accepted Jesus, you'd just stop sinning instantly. (laughs) That's funny, huh? You came out of the tomb, but you were still wearing your grave clothes. And you were still a mess. And some of us are still a hot mess, even though we're saved. Amen? Because we're still wearing our grave clothes. And the rest of our life, the Bible says in Romans 13 that we are to put on Christ. And we look more and more like Christ as we put more and more Christ on. And take more and more of our grave clothes off. So we're going to talk over the next five weeks how we do this. And I find it's all in the story of Lazarus. It's incredibly powerful. And um, we're going to have some testimonies as we go through. And I have a friend, a good friend of mine. He's a member here at Clovis Hills. Um, He runs a a nonprofit called Total Life Change where he helps families that are in crisis. Uh, Someone has an addiction in their family or anger management or they need counseling or marriage counseling or anything like that. He kind of comes in in crisis because um, read your Bible and pray is a good solution, but it doesn't fix you instantly. And you, you need help in crisis. So he does that. And so here's the story. Two years ago, I'm at Hume Lake at the men's retreat, which, dudes, you need to go to this. Wives, I'm giving you permission to sign your husbands up today and make them go. Okay? Do that. You can't do it for alpha male, but you can make them go to Hume Lake. So I'm at Hume Lake. I'm reading the Bible. Um, and sometimes you read the Bible, right? And it... You don't get a lot out of it, let's be honest. Sometimes you're reading it and it's like words, 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 okay. And then other times it like jumps out at you. And I'm reading the story of Lazarus and it just, so much is jumping out of me. And I wrote my journal because I just assumed like, oh, this is a message I'm supposed to give. And I wrote my journal. I think I'm supposed to preach this at Hume Lake next year. That was two years ago on October 20th. Well, a year passes by and it, Stupid Hume Lake never called me to preach that message. If you're listening, Hume Lake, I'm still available. But um, Pastor Todd had invited me to come speak at his fundraiser banquet. And I said, hey, um, well, what do you want me to speak on? He goes, well, it's a fundraiser banquet. I'm trying to raise money for my nonprof. And I said, well, I've got this message. Can I just get up and preach? And he's like, yeah, do whatever you want. It's okay. It's fine. I don't care. You don't usually preach at fundraiser banquets. But... He just, he let me because he's crazy like me. So I got up and I gave this message. You ever have like, well, okay, you don't. But um, if you're a preacher, there's some you're preaching where you, oh, God's talking right now. Because I just know I've got you. Most of the time, you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. Or, you know, I see all that too. 
But I knew at this banquet, I'm preaching this message, and I'm like, and these people don't know me from Adam. I, and I'm like, oh, God's here tonight. So I preach this message, and I, you know, and I, and I, I, I walk away. I walk off the stage, and as I'm walking off the stage, the MC for the night was a guy named H. Spees, and H. is a longtime pastor in this town, legendary guy. And as I'm walking off the stage, he's looking at me, and his eyes are like saucers. And he kind of gives me a hug and he goes, you can't leave these people like this. And I said, looks like I am. And I walked off stage. And H gets up because he knew like God had just dropped a bomb on them. And he proceeds to give an altar call. And 16 people get saved at a fundraiser banquet. So I knew then there was more to it than just that. And then I began to realize it wasn't about a message I needed to preach to you guys. It was just as much about a message I needed to hear as well. So we're going to go through this together. And I want to bring my friend Todd up because he's going to give a testimony about how his grave clothes came off. Morning, Clovis Hills Community Church. How are you today? You know, that, that story is totally true. You know, we were getting them there for their money, but no, we were getting them for God, to, for them to give their life to God. It was It was incredible. All that to say this, you know, as Sean and I were talking about this particular message, I don't know about you guys, but this is any precursor to what's going to happen in the next four weeks. You need to get your friends here. But let me tell you about my life. I'll tell you a little bit about the grave clothes I was wearing. When I was 24, I had a problem. And everybody's got a problem. I don't know what your hurt habit or hang up is, but I know what mine was. Maybe yours is anger. Maybe yours is codependency. Maybe yours is looking at porn. I don't, I don't, know, where you, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're just in that uh, social media realm where it's all about what you put on your social media and you don't even know who yourself is. But I, I know I was there at 24. I didn't love Todd. I didn't love who I'd become. And I knew I needed help. And the funny thing about that is everybody knows you need help but you. Everybody knows you need help but you. I called a buddy of mine. I says, how do, you, how do you get into recovery? He says, just tell the people you love the most that you've you got a problem. So I did that. I did that. And they said, what do you want to do about it? Tyler says, I need help. So I checked into a three-day detox. Then I went to this six-month outpatient program. And they told me to go to these meetings. And those people loved me until I could love myself. You see, I knew of God. I didn't know God. I didn't really care to know God. I just wanted to off this train I was on that was just a wreck. And as that started to happen, I came to before I came to believe. And about five years into that journey, I was just about ready to check out of those programs. And I was reading this meditation called God Calling. And I said, say his name often. There's power in the name of Jesus. He can protect you from all evil. So I go to this meeting, and I was in the front row picking up a five-year chip. And I said, I found my higher power is Jesus Christ. It was a little explicit in between that. And this guy named Gordon Ogden came up to me right after that meeting. He says, hey, Todd, that was the best sermon I ever heard. And I said, really? He goes, why don't you come to my Bible study? I'm thinking, you don't want me in your Bible study, man. Every other word's the F word. He said, no, come anyways, come anyways. So I went to his Bible study. He loved me right where I was at, right exactly where I was at. He started walking me on that journey. This series 
is all about. We're better together. Thanks for letting me share. So Jesus in John chapter 8, he talks about, um, about sin. And the, the truth of the matter is we, we're all sinners. I tell you guys that every week. We're all sinners. Um, it, it's not a, like a, it just is what it is, right? I sin all the time. And Jesus even said this. He said in John 8, he said, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And here's what I've learned over my lifetime as as a Christian is we're always a slave to something. You're always serving something. Um, And in all of our lives, we've all got things that have, you either have control of it or it has control of you. And, you know, a great example is Todd figured out at 24, he had a, alcohol had him, okay? Um, you may not have a drug or alcohol addiction, but you've got things that have a hold of you, and you don't have a hold of it. We, we all got them. Whether it was a, a hurt that you can't let go of, someone hurts you, and you're just, you've been carrying it, and it's, it's manifesting in all kinds of ways. Or maybe you have a habit. You're like, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I'm good, Pastor. Yeah, but you can't stop hitting buy on Amazon. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, that's a compulsion in you probably that's manifesting from a hurt or a hang-up that you have about something. That, I mean, we're all there. And we're, we're, we're a slave to our sins. But... Paul said this um, in multiple times in the New Testament. He talked about waking up. You've ever heard the term a spiritual awakening? Anyone here ever had a spiritual awakening? I've had them at different moments in my life where God just really spoke to me. And I knew like, oh my gosh. And, um, you know, I remember there were Sundays where I sat in church. And I was dead sure of it that the pastor had cameras in my bedroom. And he was stalking me. And, and he, didn't, he didn't even know me from Adam. But what, what was going on is that God was talking to me. And, and I, I became awake. I woke from this spiritual slumber I had. As a matter of fact, you ever been woken up abruptly? Sometimes you get woken up gently by God. Sometimes you get woken up abruptly. I have a friend named Ryer. And he was, um, uh, it, we, it was at his bachelor party. And Ryer, um, love this dude, just... Just big, fat, hairy guy. You know, he's like a bear. He's not anymore. He actually lost a ton of weight. But at the time, he's just a big, fat, hairy guy. And um, he, he may or may not have um, partaken a too, too much alcohol at his bachelor party and passed out in his underwear in his room at his house. And we were all there late at night. And we were like, let's do something to Ryer. And I know, you draw on the guy. And that, that's old school. So Ryer had one prized possession he had just bought. It was like a $4,500 Taylor guitar. It was beautiful. And um, he's passed out in his room in his underwear, a big, fat, hairy bear. So we got a smoke machine, a fog machine. We put it in his room. And we turned it on for about 30 minutes until it looked like, you know, Cheech and Chong's bus. (laughs) Shut the door. It's just smoke coming out of the bottom of the doors now at this point. And then his brother goes... Boom! And he kicks the door down. The door comes off the hinges and he goes, 
fire, fire. And Ryer stands up and goes, oh, and he grabs his Taylor guitar and he goes running out to the street in his tidy whities as this big, fat, hairy man. And we're all standing in the street with our cameras, just. It was an abrupt awakening for him. And here's what I've learned in life is that there are many times that um, life gets us and wakes us up and we start to realize, oh my gosh, maybe there's more to this life than, than just what I've been doing. Maybe the road I've been on has not been the right path for my life. Paul says in Romans 13, he says this in verse um, 11 through 14, and I would love it if you'd stand in honor of God's word this morning. We don't have, a, the scripture reader is me. And do this, understanding that the, at this present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime not carousing like a fat, drunken bear. Oh, I'm sorry. Not carousing in drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality or debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, The story of Lazarus, for, for, for all of us, if we were to apply the story of Lazarus to, to our life, I don't think there's any of us in the room right now that have been literally resurrected from the dead. May, may, there might be. There occasionally is stories like that. And, and miracles do happen. Um, they, they, they are miraculous, so they're, they're, they're few, but they do happen. Um, I pray all the time for people to be healed. And I pray it in faith, and I pray it boldly, and 99.9% and .9 of the time, that they usually aren't, to be honest. The one time I remember, I had this older lady in her 80s, she had a stroke, and I went into her room at 3 in the morning. I was the only person there, and I just prayed boldly. I said, Father God, extend this woman's days. I asked that you, you would heal her in the name of Jesus. And she like popped up and started moonwalking. I'm kidding, she didn't do that. I prayed it and nothing happened. So I went home. I woke up the next morning. Someone called me around 10. They said, hey, they're, they're planning on checking Joyce out of the, the hospital. And I was like, oh, she died? I thought, you know. And they're like, no, no, she's fine. What do you mean she's fine? Yeah, she just woke up and was fine. They're misdiagnosing it as this... It happens. It doesn't happen always, but it happens. And the story of Lazarus is real simple. Lazarus was a real guy. He lived in a town called Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. You know, it'd be like, for, for those of you that don't have good point of reference, if um, it's like from Clovis Hills right now where you're at, if you drove down to Nice, okay, that's about two miles away. That's where Bethany is. Bethany is kind of the hood 
of the Jerusalem area. It's, it's, it, it, you know, it's lower socioeconomic. Um, it's where, where, where the hood rats lived. And Lazarus was most probably poor. And his sister Mary and Martha, they were poor. And they lived in Bethany. And they were just kind of working class people. And they did their thing. And it says that Jesus loved him though. Because here's the thing. Lazarus got sick. And the first thing we do when tragedy hits us is we fall to our knees and pray, Right? And that's what Mary and Martha do. Lazarus gets sick and they realize this isn't just like a sick he's going to get over. This is the bad sick. And they send for Jesus. They go to get, they have someone go get Jesus. And they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Because they know that Jesus has the power to heal him. And it's interesting in this passage, and we'll be getting into the passage for the next five weeks. Um. In verse 5 and 6, it talks about how Jesus, it even says Jesus loved Lazarus. But then he waited two whole days. And then he went the long way to Lazarus' house. And he did say this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. It will end to glorify God. And you know when he said that, word got back to Mary and Martha, word got back to Lazarus, hey, the Lord said, you ain't going to die. So good news. And they were full of faith and they are like, yeah. And that's, um, you, know, you know, a lot of times that's, that's the beauty of being part of a local church is when tragedy hits you, you may not have a lot of faith, but there's a lot of other people that are having faith for you while you don't. And eventually you start getting positive about, yep, the Lord's in this. He's going to do this. And, um, but here's what happened. Jesus didn't come. And they wondered, was well, he going to come today? And then he didn't come again. And Lazarus got sicker. And then the third day, Lazarus got really sick. Lazarus died. And I'm sure as Lazarus lay on his deathbed and knew he was dying, he felt forsaken. Mary and Martha, as they watched her brother die, they felt forsaken. That's a natural feeling. So... Before you can have breakthrough in your life, though, guys, if you really want change in your life, because you have to understand something. Change is not a moment. It's a destination. God has made you to be a particular person. He, he's created, he has a life for you, a destiny for you, to, to make you the, the, the man or the woman that he has created you to be. And it's a destination. It's a place he's taking you along the way. And along the way, you're going to be growing. You're going to be changing. And here's the thing. When the world's moving backwards, you can't stand still. When something bad happens to you, you will change. And you are ridiculously in charge of what that change will be. See, because God loves you enough, he's given you 100% control of your attitude. And when something bad happens, you won't stay the same. It'll either take you to a bad place and you'll go there and you'll allow it to take you there. Or you will take hold of it and you will allow it to make you the person that God's made you to be. It doesn't mean he's going to take it away from you. It's almost like if you're in a storm and you're on a ship, you can either choose not to grab hold of the rudder and let the wind take you to a destination. Or you can choose to give up, take your hand off the rudder, and let the wind take you under. So, this is where they're at. Jesus takes all his time, he dies. 
Jesus shows up four days later. Lazarus is dead and they're at the funeral. And the funeral in the ancient world, funerals in the ancient world were way better than the way we do funerals. I'm going to be honest. The way we do funerals is this. Like, you know, you die. one day you're all going to die. I'm just here to encourage you. My friend Ted says, you're all a, we're all a carton of milk. We have an expiration date over our head. Just look at your neighbor. Tell them you're going to die. Maybe sooner or later. Right now. Okay, so he, we have funerals. We die. They put us in a box. All our friends and family come. A couple people get up, tell stories. They usually eulogize you and make you out to be a better person than you really were. Pastor says a few words about God. They close the box. They put you in the ground. And then everyone goes back to your house for potato salad. And then we move on. In the ancient world, funerals were huge. They were a week-long event. And you went to the gravesite every day. And you, you didn't just dress in black. You covered yourself in ash. You fasted. You tore your clothes. You walked down the streets wailing and mourning. Even if you weren't really that sad, you could have been like, Uncle Charlie was kind of a jerk. Ah! And you faked the, the, the tears even. And the, the reason they do that is because they're showing honor to the dead, saying this person meant something to this planet. So Lazarus is in the grave already. They've done the walk. They're all there. They're coming every day. And then the other thing in the ancient world is actually every year on the anniversary of your death, they would meet in a place called an upper room. And they would eulogize you. They remember you again. They're all there, and Jesus shows up, and Mary and Martha, they, you know, Martha, they greet Jesus, and they're like, oh, if you only would have been here, you could have you healed us, or healed him. And then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, well, um, Lazarus will rise again. And Lazarus' sister gives the good religious answer, because she was a good Jewish woman, and she knew what the Bible said, and she said, well, of course, Lord, on the last day he will rise. See, the Jews have a, um, a, a belief that one day ev everyone will, will be resurrection. There's a resurrection from the dead. As a matter of fact, in the, in the book of Ezekiel, there, there's a, there's a, Ezekiel has this vision, and he sees this valley, and it's a valley full of dry bones. And the dry bones all of a sudden begin to rise and they start connecting together like the leg bones connected to the thigh bone, you know, that kind of thing. And then, and then the tendons begin to form and muscle begins to shape and it gets skin. And all of a sudden there's people and they're dancing and this valley of dry bones begin to dance. And that's kind of the first allusion to the resurrection. And the Jews had this elaborate doctrine of the resurrection. And she was just being a good religious woman quoting the right thing, the truth, to her rabbi. And she says, I know he's going to rise again on the last day. And then Jesus said something confounding. He said, you don't get it. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. He who believes in me will never die. And then, then he asked her a question that every one of us have to answer. He said, do you believe this? And she said yes. She spoke yes. And here's what I need you to understand. There's something about that question. Do you believe this? See, she's in a dark moment in her life. And she's asked a very tough question. Do you believe I am who 
I said I am. All of you in this room, at some point, you have to answer that question in your life. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Or are we wasting our time and we should be watching the NFL right now? Because it's, it's a true question. And you can't say, well, you know, I, I kind of believe, but, you know, my mom was a Christian, so I am. Or, oh, I'm a Christian because my parents brought me to church. Or, oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, you have to at some point answer the question. And Jesus wanted her to verbalize the question. That's why when we get baptized at Clovis Hills now, we ask people, what's your good confession? And they say, Jesus is Lord. Because there's something powerful about speaking it. There's something powerful about telling the world, like, I'm in. That's why we call people forward to come get a light bulb so that you could say, you know what? I do believe, and I'm in, and I'm telling the world, and I'm not ashamed of it. I, I feel weird. Everyone's staring at me right now, but I don't care. That's why we do it. So Jesus gets there, and he gets up to the, the tomb, and everyone's weeping and wailing and crying, and, and some of it is staged, but a lot of it is legit. Now I want you to think of something. Jesus has spoken twice that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew. He came knowing he was going to do that. But there's something very peculiar in John 11:35. As he gets up to the tomb, he looks around, he sees all the weeping and mourning. And do you know what happens? It's the shortest verse in all the Bible. It says that Jesus wept. Why would he weep when he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? I'm going to be honest, I, um, I, I don't think I would have cried. I'm not like Jesus. I, I would have come like, oh, you guys wait and see. Like, I would have came into the whole funeral. Like, I would have had like, it would, I would have been like an MMA fighter, you know. I would have had like intro music, you know, coming in. I would have made a big show of how awesome I am. I would have been walking in like, Ladies and gentlemen, from the city of Nazareth, the Savior of the world, the resurrection and the life, I am Jesus. And watch what I'm going to do, suckers. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Half of you wouldn't be here when you fall asleep during my sermon. I'd bring you back. Jesus looks and he sees all of this pain and he begins to weep. Do you understand what's going on there? If you're a parent, you know what's going on there. When you see your child hurting, suffering, emotionally distraught, a parent, our, our hearts are inextricably tied to our children. And when they suffer, we suffer. Now, if you're a child um, and your parent suffers, you, it's different. You, you can kind of cut yourself off from that and be okay with it. But when you're a parent, you can't. And he sees his children suffering. He sees what death is, has done to them. He sees what sickness has done to them. And it breaks the heart of God. And God 
weeps in that moment. I want you to think about that for a minute. There's no other religion on the planet that believes that God weeps with you in your pain. As a matter of fact, every other religion on the planet says you're in pain and God gave it to you or you deserved it because of something you did in the past. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells you that pain happens. The great prophet Forrest Gump said, it happens. And the God of the Bible weeps with you in it. And he stands with you in it. And he loves you in it. And he walks you through it. And then Jesus says, roll away the stone. And one of the sisters even says, she says it in, in, in the King James version of the Bible. She says, Lord, but he's been dead for four days and he stinketh. That's a word we should bring back into our vernacular, right? You stinketh. Um, He says, roll away the stone. And then he says something that I need you to understand. Lazarus is in his grave clothes, laying down in a cave. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. And can you imagine? Lazarus, he's laying there and all of a sudden... Where am I? Why are my hands tied? Am I dead? Lazarus, come out! And the Bible says he came out bound in his grave clothes. So it's, you can imagine the scene that's going on. It's like walking dead. You're like, ah! What the, I mean, it's... It's not necessarily like this glorious thing. It probably was scary. I, I, you know, some of you are like, oh, well, those ancient people were superstitious. Listen, they knew that people died more than you. They knew that dead people don't rise from the grave more than you. They saw people die every day. When you walked into the city of Jerusalem, there were people dying on crosses every day, being killed by the Romans. One out of three of their children died before the age of five. Death was a real thing to them. They knew better than you that dead people don't rise. And... Here's what I want you to know. You can't come out of the grave unless Jesus calls you by name. You will be left in the grave, destined for an eternity, separated from God, tied up in your sin, in your grave clothes, forever. But when Jesus calls you out of the grave, Lazarus could have been like, nah, I'm going to wait till later in life. Nah, it's cozy in here. I like it here in my grave clothes. He very could have easily done that. And that's what some of you have done. God has been calling you out of the grave for years. And you're like, eh, the grave clothes are comfortable though. I, I, I know what this feels like. I don't know what it feels like to walk freely. I've been in the grave so long. This is safe for me. I don't want to look like a religious fanatic. And God loves you so much, he'll let you stay in the grave. He'll let you stay in your grave clothes. If you choose to. But if you answer his call and step out of the grave, the next thing he'll do is he'll ask your people. That's us. And we will help take each other's grave clothes off. And that's been part of the process I've been in my whole life. I didn't realize it. 
I see change is not a moment, but it's, it's a direction. So here, here, here's the thing. Um, so Lazarus on his deathbed probably felt forsaken. His family felt forsaken. I mean, that's what happens when bad things happen. I want you to know something right now. When something bad happens to you, um, God didn't put that on you. God loves you. He wants to walk with you through it. Sometimes we feel like, why are you doing this to me, God? And it's God, God is not doing it to you. He's going through it with you. And you're not forsaken. There's a picture um, Michelangelo painted on the Sistine Chapel called the creation of Adam. Do we have that picture? Could you put that picture up? This is the PG version of it because he's <laughs> naked. The tech team texted that to me last night. I was like, you guys are... Because someone was like, he's naked. If you have a problem with a naked painting of Adam, get over yourself, okay? Just letting you know. Anyways, um, some of you are like, I'm offended. Be offended. Anyway, so can we, do we, can we, did we get rid of the PG-13 one? Because that's really distracting with my face up there. So here's the deal. If you look in this picture, look at God. God is reaching out to Adam. His arms fully extended. The angels in heaven are almost like they're, they're holding him back because he's reaching so hard to touch Adam. And the angels are like, don't fall, God, don't fall. And, and then Adam doesn't even realize God is reaching for him. Adam's just kind of like, maybe God will touch me. Maybe I'll see God. Maybe I need God. And he's concerned with everything else in this world but the most important thing that the creator of the universe wants to know him, wants to touch him, wants to be with him. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel because God wants to know you and have a relationship with you so badly. He was stretching so hard. He fell out of heaven as in the form of Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived a perfect sin-free life. For you, he had you in mind. When he was stretched out on the cross, he was thinking of you. When he rose from the dead, when he opened his eyes in the tomb and went, oh, it's on. And he walked out on that third day, he was thinking of you because he wanted to know you. He wanted you to know him. And God is reaching so hard. And most of us, if we're all really honest, we're like, eh. sort of. And I want you to know something. God is closer to you than you think. If you look in the picture, he's just less than an inch away. He's right there. But mo we live most of our lives not even noticing the presence of God in our life. I, I have to tell you, the, um, the, the, the week Kelly was diagnosed with this cancerous brain tumor, um, it was crazy because on Wednesday morning when she woke up, she's a very disciplined person. So early in the morning she woke up, did her quiet time. She was reading a devotional from Lisa Turkhurst who is a, um, um, and she, she was talking about um, how, she, her, how she processed um, when she got cancer. And she read that that morning. She went, wow, that's really powerful. She had no idea. That Wednesday she got diagnosed with the brain tumor. We were freaking out. Who's going to pick up our kids? Oh, well, her mother and father were already on their way from Arizona. And they arrived at 4 o'clock and picked all our kids up that day. 
That night, someone had, no one knew anything about this. We hadn't told anyone. Someone had sent her a song. I don't know who it was by. I think it was Jesus Culture. It said, you're the God of miracles. And she just listened to that all night long. And she went to sleep, listened to it. The next day, she listened to it. When the surgery happened, I'm just a mess. It's like a six-hour surgery, and I'm like, they're opening my wife's head, and she's awake, and what's going on? And she may never talk again. She may never live again. And um, I get a phone call from one of my best friends. He's a pastor in Southern California, and his wife is in the thick of a mean battle with cancer right now. And he said, dude, I'm driving by, and I'm coming to your hospital right now. I'll be there in five minutes. And I was like, you don't have to come. He goes, shut up, click. He came and sat with me and ministered to me, and he's just a year ahead of me. And then he left, and I still had time, so I, I decided to go walking on a walk through downtown Fresno. Met all kinds of friends. As I'm walking and dodging crackheads, and um, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. I can't be the husband I need to be. I don't have it. I can't be the father I need to be. Because I don't got it right now. I can't be a pastor. What am I going to tell these people? I need you right now. And it dawned on me the last, those last three days, God was there the whole time. And he just kept showing me little things. And the longer you walk with God, you start noticing those little moments in your life where God is, I'm with you. And it's dark and I'm scary and, I, and, I, and I'm scared and I'm angry and I'm, I'm sad and all those waves of emotion are coming over me. And God is right there saying, I'm right here, son. I'm right here, son. Dallas Willard tells it, listen. Yeah, Dallas Willard tells a story it, when his mother died of, of cancer. As a little boy, he would crawl into his father's bed at night because he was scared and he was lonely. And he would make his father lay with his face to him. So they would be face to face in the bed. And in the darkness, in the night, he'd wake up and he'd be scared. And he'd just say, Dad, are you there? Dad, are you there? And then his dad would say, son, I'm here. And when he felt his father's breath on him, when his father would just whisper, I'm here, son, it comforted him and it brought him to a place where he could sleep again, where he could get some peace. And this is where God has been the whole time, as dark as it's been. And I want you to know it's not about me because many of you are in that place right now. Your marriage looks like it's gonna die. Your finances look like they're going under. Your health is failing you. Your children are running sideways right now. And God is with you. And as I'm walking, this song we sung earlier came on. And then the chorus started playing, or the bridge. And it says, not for one minute was I forsaken. And I became a bloody mess on Fresno Street. Crackheads are like, you okay, man? I'm just <laughs> walking down the street, worshiping. There. They're like, oh, he fits in. Not for one minute will God forsake you. But today, some of you got to come out of the tomb and believe. you got to become children of God. Because whom the sun sets free, they're free indeed. For some of you, Jesus has asked you today, 
do you believe this? And he's waiting for your answer. And today's the day of salvation. So I encourage you, work the courage up to answer it. Don't say, I'll wait till I'm older. I'm just going to lay in the tomb longer. Today's your day. We have a tradition here. When someone becomes a believer, they come forward and they get a bulb. This bulb represents the new life in Christ that you have. That you're now the light of the world. The light of Jesus is now inside you. And we take that bulb and we, you can screw it into your Jesus, the Jesus' life sign over there. Some empty sockets left over there. You put that sucker in, and every day you walk into this building, you realize, you remember the day that God called you out of the tomb. He called you by name. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, and um, maybe you've never received Jesus. You've never come out of the tomb. You're not sure where you would go if you died. You can be sure today. Because He is the resurrection. He is the life. And he's asking you, do you believe this? He's waiting for your confession. Let's pray.